these marketplace companies are always in a world where we're trying to balance the needs of one side versus the other. All the things that people complain to me about with Uber was always like, well, why can't I pay $0, have the driver wait for me for an hour until I'm ready to go outside. And then when I get outside and I sit in the car, I want them to like have like, you know, lemon infused, like iced water for me ready. And it's like, yeah, but like, you're not the actual customer. Like the driver is the actual customer of the business. And we need to make sure that they're very happy about that too. Because what they're telling us is why can't we charge customers $100? And if they cancel, they, they get charged $1,000. And by the way, we should be able to show up how, however late we want. And by the way, if there's a customer that's close to us, we want to pick them up and just cancel the order, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to balance the two sides. And so I think my question with anything that feels like it's too good of a deal is, is it favoring one side of the network versus the other in such a way that it hurts the long-term prospects of the business? What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, Batman, a.k.a. Rabbi Canlose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to my very good friend, Andrew Chen. Now, this is actually a private behind-the-scenes conversation of a talk he gave at my company, appsumo.com. Now, if you don't know Andrew, he's a general partner at A16Z. He's invested in Substack, Clubhouse, and a bunch of other companies, including AppSumo. He has a new book out called The Cold Start Problem. He helped me grow AppSumo to where it is today. The book is dropping December 7th. I highly recommend you check it out. The book has a bunch of great examples about how to get a company started when you've got nothing. Check it out, coldstar.com, highly recommended. In this conversation, you'll learn three gigantic things. Number one, how billion-dollar tech companies were started using network effects. Number two, the algorithm you can use to find good investments or a wife. And three, why it's important for startup founders to be a little bit crazy. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch of ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. I know you are, so just hit the fast forward button. But if you're not, it's youtube.com slash okdork. We put out one to three amazing videos each week to help you on your business journey. That's youtube.com slash okdork. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Breath Aliento. What a dope-ass screen name. They left a review saying, learning so much here. The juicy ear nuggets are actually great information. Very enjoyable podcast. You're a very enjoyable listener. And thank every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to the show. I check every single one of them. I'll keep it quick, but in 2003, I interned at Microsoft and I went to this barbecue in Redmond because you get to go for the internship. I meet this guy, Andrew. He graduated college at 17 with a mathematics degree from UW. Uh, so it turns out he was, he was a child prodigy. And so I befriended him at this random barbecue in Washington because I decided I would write a book about how to create a child prodigy for Asian parents. You know, and it was, uh, we, we started talking about it. And how? Because I'm from a, a you know an Asian high and, and, and I was like, I was like, I'm not participating in this. <laughs> but it was very entertaining. It was a very entertaining. It was fun to yeah. connect with you on that. And then Andrew went on to create a BitTorrent search engine. Sold that for a bunch of money uh, to BitTorrent uh, very early. Then he went to go be a part of MDV More David Out Ventures. One of my first businesses was with Andrew. He had the idea for a site where you could host videos online and watch them. This was 2000. That was 2004. You came up with that idea. Yeah. So yeah, that right. became, yeah. you know, YouTube. You guys have heard of YouTube. We built it incorrectly uh, on BitTorrent was, instead of yeah, it was built Flash. on BitTorrent. Uh, then you went on to raise money from a bunch of super famous people, Mitch Kapoor, Mark Andreessen, uh, and he ran a startup that was after doing like EIR work at MDV. Then you went on to be a senior director at Uber, and basically got recruited from everyone to come help them with their growth initiatives. He's really strong at strategy and analytics. Uh, the parallels at, at AppSumo in 2010, I was like, hey, I'm going to do this AppSumo thing. Do you want to like check it out? And so Andrew's the reason we changed from bundles to deals. 
we used to do all these bundles and then Andrew ran some models and he's the only investor we've ever had. He put a hundred thousand in because one of your companies sold to Skype. Mm-hmm. That's I right. Yep. One of his companies sold to Skype. He started reforge.com. It's the number one for people that are looking to advance their skills. I think Shelsey has actually gone to that. And then now he's a big timer at A16Z. I, I think Andrew, I would say is one of the top five, if not top three reasons. AppSumo is where it is today. Uh, in terms of the strategy, he's on our board. In terms of the advice he gives to me, uh, to Eamon, to Chad. Uh, so really appreciate him. And he has a new book out. Every one of you is going to get it called The Cold Start. Andrew, you want to give like the, the 60 second pitch on The Cold Start and then we'll, we'll jump into some of the questions? Yeah, for sure. One of the big things that I've been working on over the last three years has been to write a new book that really is collects some of the knowledge and you know what I perceive to be one of the core secrets of you know Silicon Valley and why this region has built some of the largest companies, tech companies, you know, on the planet. But what I did for the book was I interviewed a ton of CEOs. I interviewed the CEO of Zoom, of Twitch, of Reddit, of Tinder, of Slack, you know, many of the products that we use every day. What I learned from that was there are all these themes and things that, you know, that all of these, some of the most valuable companies in the world that all share. And they all share with a lot of the secrets that I've learned at Uber as well, that I felt like it was time for me to collect and bring to the world. And the core um, theory of the book is to talk about network effects and the network effects that ultimately power all of these amazing multi-billion dollar companies. And also, you know, frankly, the core network effect that is at the heart of AppSumo as well. And so Noah, maybe we should we should talk about that today also. But first, like what is a network effect and like how is it actually relevant? Well, the first and most important thing with network effects is it is a style of product that the more users that are on the product, the more useful it becomes over time. And so that becomes a really important concept because imagine Instagram with no users. Would you use it? No. Even if it had all the same features, all the same you know, functionality, the same photo filters, everything. If the users that you're interested in, your friends and family and celebrities and influencers, if they don't use the product, you actually have zero interest in using it. And that's true, not just for Instagram, but that's true for Slack. That's true for Tinder. You know, would you use Tinder if no one's on it or if the right people aren't on it? No, you don't, you don't want to use it. You know, and on and on and on. And so what I end up talking about in the book is the core thing that all of these products share is you know, first it describes like this style of product, products that work and function as a result fundamentally of other people being on the product. And this is true for marketplace companies, AppSumo being an example of this. It happens for social products like Clubhouse, like Reddit, like Twitch, like Facebook. It happens for collaboration tools. You know, you're not going to use Asana if none of your coworkers use it. You're not going to use Dropbox if none of your coworkers use it. And many, many other kinds of product categories. And so what I lay out in, in the book is the idea that at the very beginning of this style of product, if you're a founder and you're trying to start one of these things, you basically have to solve what I call the cold start problem in it, which is to go from zero all the way to a critical mass point enough that enough people are using it all together that the product is actually useful. And so I describe, and you know, maybe we can get into a bunch of this later, um, you know, all the techniques and different ideas for how you solve the cold start problem. And by the way, AppSumo has a wonderful, you know, backstory of, of how this happened and one of the reasons why I ended up, in, you know, getting involved in, in, in the early days. And then the rest of the book talks about, well, once you have this, how do you actually scale these network effects? You know, what happens when you're a bigger company and, you know, what ends up happening as you become, you know, a more mature network? 
how do you compete? You know, like I talk a lot about working at Uber and how we would spend every week brainstorming about how we were going to kill Lyft and, you know, when that was easy and when that ended up being really hard. And so that, that's sort of the, the, the core, uh, you know, framework of the book. And, and Noah, um, we can get into a lot of the details, but I know you and I talked about this book many, many, many times. Yeah. Writing it. I mean, um, Andrew, it was quite a journey. It was, it was, I definitely heard you complain about writing for the past three years. Uh, but it, I've also read uh, some snippets and it's phenomenal. Thank you. What's the AppSumo cold start and what did you observe that relates to the material you, you researched? Well, I think first we need to basically stand back and say, well, what is the core network effect of AppSumo? And Noah, this is the way I would describe it. And you tell me if you agree with me on it, which is the companies that are putting their software products on AppSumo would not be interested in AppSumo if there were no email subscribers. And at the same time, the email subscribers would not subscribe to AppSumo unless the right products that they want are on AppSumo. And so in that way, that is a two-sided network effect in the same way that Airbnb is like, you know, guests won't want to, you know, rent on Airbnb unless the right properties are on there. The properties don't want to be on there unless the guests are there, right? It's so it's sort of a it's what's described as a two-sided, you know, network. Do you agree with that description? And how do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. If we had a deal and no one to buy it, uh... <laughs> you don't really have much of a business. Yeah. And, and when we sell deals, you know, we probably tell them like, hey, this is how many email subscribers we have. This is how much revenue we can generate for you. Here's the history of it, right? To so try to demonstrate that the demand side is there. And then same thing for the demand side. We actually tell the buyers like, here's all the kinds of products that we have. So that core thing is there. So the question is like, if you were to try to start AppSumo today, how would you start it, right? It would actually be hard because you would somehow need to get your hands on hundreds of thousands of email subscribers, or you would need to get your hands on, you know, I forget how many deals there are these days, but thousands of deals, right? And that would be hard to create. And so there is a cold start problem at the beginning of AppSumo. And Noah, do you tell the story to your team very often? Like how how, how you got the email list in the first place? Because I think it's a yeah. wonderful story. Please. What I remember was you and I were talking to each other on the phone and you were in Europe, I think, when we had this first chat. You were going from conference to conference and you needed to solve solve the cold start problem, you know, for this idea that you had. And I think you didn't even know that you this is what you were doing, but you were just doing you were following it almost intuitively. And what you do is you go to the conference and say, Hey, all of you software vendors that are exhibiting at the conference, let's actually get discount codes and put you all onto a bundle together. And then you guys can blast the bundle out to all of your customers and attendees of the conference. But I felt like the biggest uh, move. Noah, that you made was you got to keep the emails at the end. That's how I remember it. But you tell me if, if, mm. if that's right. The first deal where we did validation, I think we've told the story a lot. Where it was with Imgur, and I worked backwards from Reddit, and I took out like like Chris Slow, the CTO, and they gave us free traffic. But how we actually solved the cold start problem was working backwards from like who has audiences, and then the bundles was is really the way that no one would be de incentivized to promote. Like if you go to Mailchimp and we're which we got in the beginning. They can just email out their own discount. But when we did the bundle strategy, it was like, well, you guys are all promoted. You're all part of the, you know, the thing together. So they didn't mind promoting it collectively. I think the thing specifically, so that was where a lot of our original traffic and audience came from. The second piece, which you're talking about is interesting. Actually, we're recruiting someone from this, which is crazy. Uh, it's the lean startup. It was from the South by Southwest, uh, 2011 conference. That was really what put, you know, AppSumo on the map where this actually like, Blew my mind. Like we promoted, I can't tell you how many billion dollar businesses. Wait, but no, no, I'm not. I'm not misremembering, right? Like there was a cold conference bundle thing 
that you put. Yeah, in. so that's the South by Southwest lean startup where yeah. we had basically yeah. Describe what you did there. A lot of it was like we did it in small practice where we did like the productivity bundle. We did the one in Europe where I was at was the designer bundle. So we had yeah. like Typekit and like all these really cool companies, and then they were all incentivized to promote each other. And we gave them the marketing material. The conference one was we got Eric Rees, who's who's technically an advisor to AppSumo. We're like, yo, can you help us promote a bundle? And so then we just got up, lined up, I mean, the biggest companies of the day. And now I can't tell you how many of them, probably a good amount of them are billion dollar businesses. And then each of those companies promoted the hell out of it. And then we, yeah, we did capture the audience. And I think that's where we started getting two major things really realized for us. One, get more email addresses. So I think that's where we went crazy to go from like, how do we get, I think it was like half a million emails. Let me rewind a little bit to pop up one level, Noah, you know, on kind of the cold start problem is basically like, Every single one of these products needs to solve, you know, needs to get a critical mass of, of users together at the same time. And so in the book, I call this the atomic network, right? Like what is a stable, you know, sort of number of users that you can get all together all at the same time. And if you can get that one network together, it's stable and you can perpetuate it. In the Zoom case, for example, I interviewed Eric Juan about this. He says that Zoom, really, you can use it with two people. And you can just keep using it with two people over and over and over again. So he views the atomic network as being two people. Slack, uh, Stuart Butterfield says that the smallest network that you can have that's still functional is three people. And, you know, I think of that as, as a, a really nice, um, way to, to think about that versus if you talk to the Airbnb people, what they'll tell you is that you actually need 300 listings in a city of which, you know, a hundred of them are reviewed in order to create enough inventory for Airbnb to function, be functional, right? And of course, Airbnb, similar to, you know, early AppSumo also actually did all of their initial work at South by Southwest, right? South by Southwest is like this crazy, wow. you know, critical, you know, Twitter was also launched at South by Southwest, like Highlight was also, you know, launched by South by South. Okay, yes, yeah. AppSumo is the cold start solution. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think that's right. For a lot of companies, you know, AppSumo might be a way to, to get there. And so I think what ends up, happening is when you examine a lot of these stories, it's all about getting that critical mass. This is also why, by the way, a lot of social networks, you know, start at colleges and high schools, right? Because you basically need Snapchat to start at a high school and grow within a high school and get a certain amount of density and it'll take over the high school and then off you go. And same thing with, um, you know, Tinder, by the way, in the early days of Tinder, um, I interviewed Sean Rad, who is one of the co-founders for, for the book, and he's become a friend. And one of the things that um, he and I would talk about is, Early, early on in Tinder, they basically would just invite all their friends off of their address book. And you can imagine how that goes. Like, hey, you're single. You need a dating app. That's like a, almost like an insult, you know, like that's like, you know, that's like not, not a cool way to, you know, to get your, your product going. However, what they ended up doing was they actually threw a party at USC, a birthday party at USC, and they sponsored the party and they, they made it amazing. They put all this branding and they put this like bouncer in front of the, party and they basically said look in order to go to this incredibly sick party you need to download this app and show your tinder profile filled out in order to actually have access to the party and so so they ended up getting 500 of the you know folks from the usc greek system all to download tinder on the same day at the same time and then you know they went to the party and it was fine and they didn't interact with the app but the next morning you pull up the app and you're like oh wow here's all these people that i wish i'd talked to and then you know from there they were actually able to then you know, grow Tinder out of that original group of, uh, you know, users. And so I think that there's all these really interesting kind of growth hacks that people use to get the, the first set. And then, you know, what to your point, after that, you need to figure out how to accelerate past 
you know, just being able to, and this is why I call it an atomic network, because if you can build one atomic network and you can build a second atomic network, which is what Noah showed, right? Like Noah showed that you could go to one conference and build the productivity bundle. You go to a second conference and build the design bundle. Well, if you know how to build one and two and three, you probably know how to build 10. You probably know how to build a hundred. You probably know how to, how to build enough of these networks that individually you can take over the market. And a lot of the subsequent work past, I think the second or second or third year of of AppSumo was just trying to scale something that has been working since the early days when when you built it, Noah. Yeah. I mean it was it was interesting with the cold start stuff where noticing that like the, the bundles is where we could actually do a lot of promotion without having to spend a lot of money. And then eventually you actually ran the analysis and we're like, hey, why don't you just do individual deals? And then we really focused on individual emails and we were able to do ads uh, and other things about right. that. What other uh, cool stats or stories did you learn or surprised about? Like the Airbnb 300 listings thing, I've never heard that before. Any other yeah. observations or surprises in either the start or in the scale? I think with all of these, what you find is that the early beginning history of many of these companies is extremely idiosyncratic. Like it's just like weird sets of accidents that kind of like, you know, get you there. I mean, you guys may know the product Twitch, which is now, you know, doing over, you know, a billion in revenue. And it's, you know, a part of Amazon. It was sold for a billion dollars to Amazon. You know, Noah and I knew these guys back like 15 years ago. I mean, these guys, it yeah. was originally called Justin TV. It was literally a guy with a hat with a camera on it. And he'd wear a backpack and he basically just like live cast his life. And he'd just like walk around and just like live cast his life. And he was like a normal dude. Like he was, you know, uh, he'd like go to go on dates. You know, like whenever he'd go to the bathroom, he'd like live cat, you know, he'd like point his hat up and then he'd just go to the bathroom. Like that, that was like real shit, you know, that was happening. And that was Justin TV. And the idea that you could basically build a product started with Justin TV. And then the atomic network there was basically Justin as the creator and then a bunch of like nerds as the viewers. That was the atomic network. Then he was able to go from that to a world where there was multiple people streaming at the same time that was the next level and then the next level after that was he ended up basically figuring out how to scale it by you know bringing the product all the way down to really focus on gamers and game streamers and that's what you know ultimately powered and built you know twitch and you know that's a really interesting example of like how that started i talk about slack in the book which we now all think of as a b2b like enterprise product like did you guys know that slack was originally built as a multi-user like massively multiplayer like browser video game and you had these characters and it was like if you read the backstory it's like crazy if you search for glitch you know trailer on youtube that's the place to watch it maybe we can send out the link later the way that the game worked was you know you were on the heads of these like giants and the giants were like the size of planets and they had all these crazy names for each of the giants and it was very cartoony and you could like walk around and you'd learn these skills that were like you know, underwater basket weaving and like, you know, skinning, you know, whatever things and like all this like crazy weird stuff. And that was the whole concept of, you know, of, of the thing. And he hired 70 people and raised tens of millions of dollars. And it completely bombed after four years, it completely bombed. And he fired everybody. They went all the way down to, I think, six or seven employees. And they were like, well, let's just take the chat app that we've been using, you know, to run this like game and turn it into like Slack and off you go. Right. And so, what you find is that the beginnings of these products are very idiosyncratic, but then they, after they actually get going, they share a lot of commonality because then Slack was like, well, how do I get my friends? You know, they signed up like four or five like startups to use Slack, the very beta version, and they could tell that it was sticky and people were starting to use it. Okay. Well, guess what? 
that's the atomic network for Slack. It turns out like three, four people inside of a company using Slack together will make it sticky. And so then the question is, well, first, how do you just make more of those? And then second, how do you grow these three, four person teams into potentially hundreds of people you know, in the company using it? And so that became the next phase of Slack to scale their networks as opposed to simply creating them in the same way, Noah, that you're talking about. You know, we started with all the conference bundles and building the atomic networks yeah. there. Then how do you reach the scale point where you're trying to scale your network effects? Yeah, we did the conferences, but we also did like very targeted work back plans. So like we did Y Combinator and I, I bundled all the Y Combinator products and then I bundled all the popular design products and then basically working backwards from where the audience was made it easy. One thing I'm curious, right. so Emma, Emma commented about a dating app. I am curious, like if I were to launch, you know, someone in the teams like wants to launch a dating app, how do you think you'd approach it now that after you've done all this research and, and you know, studying it? Building the first dating app is very different than building the 500th dating app in the market, mm. right? So they're very different things. And so what you have to do if you're building a brand new dating app or a brand new social network or a brand new B2B product is you have to basically say, what are the incumbents doing and where are they strong and where are they weak? And this is an important idea because I think of every network as a network of networks, right? And it's very easy to think about this from the Uber standpoint. There is no single one Uber network. Uber's network is actually made up of individual cities, San Francisco, Austin, New York, LA. And even if you look at a network like LA, LA is actually, you know, five different networks. You know, there's like East LA, there's West LA, there's, you know, in the hills, there's, there's in the valley, there's, you know, Bay Area, same thing, like there's different parts of it. And so what ends up happening is, you know, Craigslist is also like this. And I'll use Craigslist as a great example here, which is Craigslist is not one network. Craigslist is every city has a Craigslist. And then every subcategory, like Craigslist has like hundreds of subcategories, like the jobs section of Craigslist is its own network. The thing to remember is you don't have to compete. Airbnb does not have to compete against Craigslist. Airbnb has to compete against the subsection of shared rooms within Craigslist. And they can build an amazing product just to target this one sub-network. They can attack where the incumbent is weak, right? So Noah, going back to your original question of how do you go up against Tinder, I think you basically have to ask like, well, if Tinder is a network of networks, where is Tinder weak? Right. And you could make a bunch of arguments. You could say, well, maybe Tinder is really, really strong in certain westernized worlds, but maybe they're not super strong in certain geographies. And so maybe you'd have a geographic play. Or if you don't want to do that, you might say, well, Tinder is really, really good at sort of like, you know, a little bit, it's very mainstream. It's a little bit like kind of, um, you know, casual dating. Um, well, you know, maybe you would go and go more like serious dating, or maybe you'd go more like upscale, or maybe you'd go more like you'd go older. Tinder is also a world where it's very visual. It's very much, it's very fun. You know, maybe you would figure out like, okay, what is the network of networks of Tinder? And like, is there a world where you would go um, a little bit uh, narrower as a result? Or maybe you'd go into like communities. Maybe, I mean, this is, by the way, a really interesting thing, which is that when, an, when one of these networks gets very large and it gets very diffuse, it actually reopens the ability for somebody to build a new college dating app. Like you might be able to do that now. And know that, for example, oh, yeah, I'm dating somebody that is from UT or, you know, whatever it is, and maybe that's important to you. And so I, I think there's there's a lot that is always, hey, yeah, exactly, unbundling of networks. There's a famous saying that all of business is unbundling and bundling, and that's all there is. And so I think we go through these cycles where, and, you know, for looking at any of these products, we can always be asking, like, okay, are we in a phase of bundling or are we in a phase of unbundling? Dude, that's interesting. You know, we've been doing internet since 2000. 
four? What year are we in? So 17 years. But I think what I'm curious for you, and I think it would be helpful for a lot of people here is like, how have you sustained? And then how have you thought about your career path? Because that's something that, you know, as a company, mm. I think a lot of people have their own, you know, career stories. And I'm curious how you've thought about it. Because you're, I loved your path. It was like college prodigy, or, you know, and then child prodigy. And then, you know, it's, it's an interesting path. I think the main thing that I've, I've tried to do first and foremost is, you know, to surround myself like with, you know, people that, that I can learn from and in particular learn from in areas that where I have a direction that I'm trying to go, you know, and I think half the battle is often just about defining where you want to go and being aspirational about it. And so I'm in, you know, kind of a period of my life right now where I feel very stable in my career currently, which is great. But I'm also trying to push myself and the way I'm trying to push myself, you know, Noah and I have spent a lot of time talking about this kind of more in our personal life, but I'm trying to drive the, the convergence of technology and, and entertainment. And part of my interest in that is, you know, with Clubhouse and, and Substack and, and a bunch of these companies, you know, just seeing, you know, kind of the next generation of TikTokers and, and YouTube and all this other stuff that, um, you know, more and more is happening. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to spend a lot more time in LA. I'm trying to, you know, spend a lot of time with people that are living at the intersection of the two worlds. I may be in year two of like what is maybe a five to 10 year arc in my career, hopefully. And, you know, versus I felt like the last 10 years of my career have been an arc towards kind of pursuing, you know, excellence kind of in the, in the technology, you know, realm, you know, entirely and sort of trying to upgrade my understanding and my networks and everything in the book is kind of like, is sort of the culmination of like, you know, 10 years of work in, in the tech sector. And so in the next one, what I want to do is, you know, so I'm, I'm basically trying to figure out how to organize all the ecosystem in LA and drive convergence with San Francisco and the two industries. Um, so, so I do a lot of that. And then, you know, I used to be very, very independent and not ask anybody for advice. And then I think over time, I've kind of just, you know, found a small group of people that I enjoy getting their opinions about everything in life and in work. Noah is one of them, which is why I've enjoyed our, our friendship over the years. And I'd like to think that I, I do the same for you, Noah in all this. Um, and so I think, I think that's kind of the most important because look, there's going to be new situations, new jobs, new opportunities, new things all the time. But it's really the kind of collective group of people around you that really can give you that. And so what I try to do is I try to cultivate, you know, mentors and peers. And I try to constantly think about how do I, you know, what's the right lineup of, you know, five people, you know, kind of half dozen people around me that I can go to. I love this, uh, you know, Noah and I've talked about this a bunch, which is like, you know, how you're the average of the five people, right? And so, you know, being very cognizant of that and like how you spend your time with the people around you and making sure that you want to average, you know, are you going to average up or down on the things that you want in terms of how you use your time and the relationships that you're building? And then balancing that obviously with, you know, kind of obviously like like long-term relationships with people that you just care about as well. Noah, how would you answer this question for yourself? Uh, you made me reflect, remember when you were in MDV, like even in college, you had that mentor? I think he was the partner at the firm. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had a mentor named Bill Gossman for, I guess it's been like 20 years now. He started a company in the late 90s. I met him when he was in his, I guess, like when he was 40-ish. And he sold the company for half a billion dollars in the dot-com bubble. And he was kind of my work. I always think of him as my work dad. You know, my dad is like, he was PhD. It's like an academic, right? And so he doesn't know anything about business. And so whenever I actually had any work-related things, he was really my, you know, Bill Gossman has always been my long-term you know, mentor and friend for all these things. And, and we've kept in touch and we talk um, almost every week still after 20 years. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like, I, always, I always admire, I remember the one day, this is a crazy story where like Andrew's startup, everyone like quit one day 
I think Chad, we were working together and I was like, dude, that's nuts. And then uh, your perseverance was really inspiring that you were like not giving up and you, you know, you still kept going. That's definitely always stuck with me. I was like, one, everyone else, don't, don't, let's not have a day where we're leaving, obviously. <laughs> but the fact that you were just like, I'm never going to give up. And then, yeah. yeah, that is interesting. I never really reflected, but I yeah, think by, by the way, actually, what happened there was kind of funny. I think we actually fired the whole team, half the team, the whole team, something, something like that. But yeah, we, we, we lost half the team that day. And we probably didn't have to in retrospect. That was just an, an experience. Well, I think I was like 20, I was a 20, 20, 25 year old CEO. That's, that's, that's the kind of shit that gets pulled when you're a kid. I think the other thing that, that I feel very fortunate is that I was able to be in Silicon Valley. You hinted at it, but I think it's really important is that like, and this is a question I, I think about pretty often is like, how do you know what excellence looks like? Right. And I think you, you know, excellence looks like like in food because you try a bunch of different dishes. And I think the same is with like our relationship. I was, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this guy's really interesting. And that's why we would say friends really long. Besides interesting, you know, we look out for each other. And so I think just being mindful in your career is like, Hey, are there, am I around in a company or externally people that are inspiring or seem excellent? And I think the other thing that, that you've done really well is I think this was always your plan all along. Like I've known you a very long time. You were always like really great in the investing and strategy. And like, I think for everyone, you know, in our company, it's like, where do you want to go? And then like, how is, how are you lining up your, your own story or narratives? Right. Like you wanted operational experience. And then I mean, you were very intentional. You're like, I'm either going to go to Dropbox and be a big deal there or Uber and be a big deal. And that's going to lead me. Uh, to go to one of the top VC firms. And I think that's you know something for all of us to be like, it wasn't accidental that you're now at the top firm investing in the top companies. There's a great book called Algorithms to Live By. One of the chapters formalizes something that, that I've kind of intuitively would try to do, which is there's a thing called the optimal um, stopping problem, which is basically the idea that like in a world where you are, you need to pick something, right? Let's say you want to, you want to buy a house, right? Or you want to you got to examine a bunch of you know companies, and then you got to invest in the best company. Or you gotta you're gonna date a bunch of people, and then you're gonna pick your wife. These are all part of the optimal stopping problem. The question is, how do you, given the fact that like shopping for a house or dating or looking at investment opportunities, all takes time. It all takes sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. So you can only look at a certain number. But at the same time, you want to have a really good option. So what do you do exactly? And so what the book recommends is there's an algorithm and it's like, you know, it gives an actual equation. And so I won't, I don't remember the specifics of the equation, but there's sort of like this equation that basically says, well, you do something like the following. You basically figure out, well, if you spent all your time looking for houses, how many houses could you look at total? And so you might say, well, I definitely want to have a house over the next five years um, sometime. And as part of, you know, looking for that, I could probably look every weekend. And so every weekend I could probably look at, you know, five houses for five years. And so you kind of lay that out. And then it basically says like, well, what you should do is you should take that and you should probably look at, and I think the number is like 37% of, uh, you know, your possible, uh, you know, opportunities. And then what you do is you basically say, okay, I'm going to look at 37% of the possible options. So basically you'd spend, you know, a year and change looking at all the, all the options and you have to reject all of them. You have to reject all of the 30 of the first, like roughly third. And then after that, the first one that you see that's better than all of the ones that you previously saw, that's the one you jump on, right? And the reason for that is that gives you a very, very, very good bar of a thing. You spend basically a third of your time, but you get a pretty good solution. I'll leave it to your, to your own uh, calculation on like how, how this applies to dating, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you, can, you can use a similar um, algorithm there. 
Yeah, but, but, I, but I it is yeah, our, our careers, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah, I think the career and try out a bunch of careers. Yeah, maybe you know, like, hey, I have, I know, I'm going to choose my career sometime in my 30s, or sorry, sometime in my 20s, right? So I have like eight years out of college to choose my career. Okay, well, how do you, how do you try enough things? And by the way, this is why startups like AppSumo are such great places to actually start your career because you get to try a lot of things, right? You can wear a lot of hats. You can be on product. You can do operations. You can do, you know, sales. You can do marketing. You can try a lot of different things, and you can learn a lot about what it is. And then by the time that you get to your next you know, phase of your life, you can be like, okay, well, what's better than all the things that I tried? And then the other one that I use a lot, which is kind of similar, which is, is stack ranking, um, which is like, basically, if you're choosing houses, what you do is I'm always constantly every, you know, I, I just bought a house in LA. And what I would do is every time I look at a house, I try to say like, well, is it, how did it rank relative to everything that I've seen? Each day, I'm constantly just asking myself like, okay, is this, is this the best that I've seen? Is this the best that I've seen? And what I found was that after five months of it, you know, like I had a very, very good sense of what the top three looked like. And I would just think about the top three and then that became my bar. And then, you know, and I do this with startups all the time too, because you kind of, you're always trying to say like, okay, is this one of the best four I'm going to see all year? Because that, if I'm going to do four investments, that's always the question. Is this, and is this better than my entire portfolio that I've constructed so far? And those are the kinds of things that I ask myself in order to um, make sure that I'm always raising the bar on everything that I'm doing. What excites you most about AppSumo? A couple things. Um, you know, first, both myself and and the firm, we are very, very pro founder led startups. You know, we think that founders are inherently a little crazy. Like we always joke about whether or not people are founder crazy enough. Like if someone comes in and they're like, I went to Stanford and then I went to Harvard and then I worked at these like mega companies and then I went to Google and then now I want to start a company. We're always like, but is this person crazy enough? You know, because that's like, those are all very reasonable things to do. But like, are they crazy enough to start a company? And so Noah is definitely crazy enough to start a company, which is what, what I admire about Noah. So I, I personally love that, you know, Noah, that you're, you're back in the company and taking a very, um, you know, involved day-to-day stance. I think ultimately, you'll have to build your team. You'll have to figure out how, to, how you're going to stay involved over time in a way where you can play to your strengths and, and you know, Chad as well and all this. So I'm very excited about that. I think the second thing is there are only a couple companies each year that are being built that are able to hit, you know, kind of a hundred million, you know, 200 million, 500 million in scale. And these are the companies that ultimately become worth, you know, a billion dollars and $5 billion and $10 billion. And I say that not because like the money is important, but like it is a way to quantify the impact of the organization. Every dollar that comes into AppSumo is a dollar that's going to a indie developer that is, you know, putting together their first product. Every new, um, you know, subscriber is is a, you know, is a founder that's trying to get their product off the ground and you know doesn't have to buy list price. And so because of that, those dollars can go to their employees. And they can go to their, um, you know, can go to their dreams. So I I really love the mission of the company, and I think that you know AppSumo is really really unique in. Being able to be HQ'd in Austin and building a network effects driven company that I think can really be one of the biggest companies in um, not only the city, but in the whole industry. Because once the company gets to a certain size, you end up with natural network effects. You end up in a case where someone else can build all the same features and the same product, but you'd still list on AppSumo because that's where all the customers are. And all the customers are going to come into AppSumo because that's just where all the products are. If we can build that network effect and scale that network effect, I think that there's no reason that the company can't be ultimately one day have thousands of employees, tens of thousands of employees, 
and you know scale that all the way up. And and I say that as somebody who joined Uber and saw that ride, you know, from you know the very very early days of you know when the company had you know under a thousand people in San Francisco, and when I left, you know, the company was over twenty five thousand employees globally. And I think AppSumo can take the same journey if we make the right right decisions and scale the product and and, and the team in the right way. What things at AppSumo did I not do that you wanted us to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think for a long time. AppSumo was more like a tool than it was a network. Basically, it was like, hey, you're one company, we're going to sell your deal to our list. But it wasn't a situation where it was like, how do we get like every single product in the world on AppSumo? How do we get every single buyer of software in the world on AppSumo? You know, I think it was much more of a bespoke kind of, you know, thing. And I think that that's fine. It would be sort of like instead of building Instagram, it was like a service where you called somebody and you said, do you want a photo filter on your on your photos? And you'd be like, yeah. And then this team would go and like add some photo filters and like email it back to you, right? Instead of building like Instagram, like where anyone can, anyone can post photos, anyone can follow anybody, like global network, billions of users. It was like, hey, like, how do we like do photo filters for people like one at a time? You know, that was sort of like how, you know, I think the early days of, of AppSumo were built. So I think, I think kind of, more automation, more self-listing, more reasons for people to come, building, scaling those network effects, I think are all really, really important. Um, I would say one. I would say two is building the team. Often what you find with companies is that you want to ideally, after you go through this phase of being all hustle and all scrappiness, get to a point where you can build, where you can look around and everyone is has had a ton of experience and is doing it their second or third time. And I think that that's something that, you know, the company is, I know we're, we're focused on, you know, hiring for that and have, have been hiring for that, you know, versus in the very early days, like Noah, as you know, being so early at Facebook, you know, early Facebook was what it was, the average age was like 23 years old or something. It was not only, you know, the first company they, they were starting, it was the first company many of them had ever worked at or ever had a job. And it wasn't until, you know, five years in or something like that, that they were hiring the top people from Google into Facebook. And I think there's a cycle that looks like that for AppSumo, where we started out in the very early years, we were like, great, let's, you know, let's build that. And then now we're, we're professionalizing, you know, we should have, uh, no, you've done, you've done a great job, obviously getting a bunch of new advisors around the company as well. I think those are all, those are all huge pluses. How about another 15 minutes or so? And Andrew, thank you again you know, one is friend as well as just the company, like we wouldn't have the chance to be able to do this and have a great jobs and also be able to partner with customers without you. It's been, Thank uh, you. Yeah. No, I think you give me, you give me too much credit because all of this is the, the hard work of, of you and, and the whole team. So it's, yeah. it's easy for me to, to send some emails and texts and be like, <laughs> why are we, why are we doing X? That's not that actually that helpful, but um, uh, no, uh, no one always jokes that, uh, you know, the, my job is easy because I basically run around and just ask people, can we grow this 5x instead of 3x or 3x instead of 2x? And I just ask that over and over again. <laughs> and that's the whole job of being being an investor. <laughs> Why not 50x? It's true. I mean, that's at least, at least it's a disappointed dad vibes, I guess is what they call me. A few questions that we'll open up for, um, you know, people were asking about Clubhouse. What's your, what's your take on Clubhouse today? Obviously there, there was, you know, the flows of companies. Totally. Yeah. I actually, so at the A16C office, I just, I actually literally just interviewed Paul Davison, the CEO, right before this call. So we actually interviewed and discussed and talked through a bunch of this. So, so let me, let me talk about a couple things. 
Clubhouse is was started roughly 18 months ago, and then the product was launched 12 months ago. And in the last 12 months, they have hired a team of 90 people. They've raised several hundred million dollars, and they have millions of daily active users. And they have a really interesting roadmap that basically is, you know, launching, you know, replays and, you know, snippets and, you know, basically recorded content is one of the things that they're working on next on a daily basis. There's over 700,000 rooms that are being created. Earlier this year, it was more like 300,000. All these really interesting bits of momentum. And I think like I'm very excited about that because ultimately, if you think about, you know, photos, you think about video, you think about text. There have been huge, basically like multi-hundred billion dollar companies that have been created in text and videos in um, photos. And the closest audio that's been built is Spotify, which is kind of like, if you think about old school radio, it was like FM basically all went to Spotify. Well, what about all the AM content? You know, what about all the like political talk shows, all the commentary, all the sports discussion? Where did all of that go? on the internet. And so I think Clubhouse has an amazing chance to capture all of that, reinvent podcasting, do a lot of that work. And that's been all awesome. And if and if I again could look at the first 12 months of the company since launch, I wish all of my companies, you know, that I invested in, you know, would go through that type of a growth cycle. I think a lot of people who are the haters are like, well, you know, I thought it was going to go from zero to like Instagram in like three months. Like, why isn't it Instagram yet? And I'm kind of like, okay, Instagram, hold on. Instagram is like, you know, 10 years old. Like, we're going to get there. It's a matter of building the company. The company, um, uh, six months ago, when it was growing very, very fast, literally had seven employees. It went from a few hundred thousand users to 10 million users in a single month. It had, you know, seven or eight employees. I'm amazed that it didn't fail well and just like completely collapse at that point. So I think, anyway, so there's a lot of haters, you know, who are like, you know, all of that, but. This thing is not an overnight success. It's not meant to be an overnight success. This company is going to take 10 plus years to build. We're very excited to give them hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. And they have, you know, some of the best people in the world, you know, working on it. So I think it's a, it's going to be, be a very cool journey that I'm, I'm proud to be associated with. Two things with that. One, I, I just want to highlight, I think when people make like, oh, is Clubhouse failing? It's kind of like even with AppSumo, like self-listing, how's it doing? And I think you have to really understand like, hey, the numbers are actually still promising and really understand the, the deeper insight. The second thing, what's it like to give out $100 million? I would say two things on it. I mean, first, look, I think the reality is we're extremely schizophrenic about how we think about the startup world, right? On one hand, we're like, who is your favorite founder? Elon Musk, that guy's amazing. He makes all these amazing things, you know, blah, 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 right? That's like, that's one side of it. And by the way, like, how long is it going to take to ship Neuralink? How long did it take for Tesla to ship their first like real mass market car, right? Like these things take years. And I would argue that almost anything worth doing in the startup world is, is going to take like 10 plus years to do. Like that's just the reality of it. Even Uber, which was like the hyper growth company, it was the fastest to 100 billion. It was this, it was that. These are all companies that like even Uber is like 10 years in at this point, 11 years in at this point, right? It's like these are, these take really long periods of time. And I think that like in a world where we all watch like 20 second TikTok videos, we want things to be like fast, but like startups are not about fast. It's actually, com- this is about company building. You know, you can start a company really, really fast. Building companies, that takes like decades. I think that's a healthy attitude and mentality, you know, to have in all this. The second thing about r- writing huge checks, I mean, what I would tell you is I joined the firm four years ago and I am 
I haven't invested a billion dollars yet, but like I'm going to get there. It's actually quite close. Like it'll just take me a couple more years and, and I'll hit that. And at this point, what I would say is like, I do not take it lightly to write those kinds of checks because I remember raising $1 million, $970,000 for my seed round, you know, when I started my company. And that was like a life changing, huge moment, you know, for me, you know, to be able to do that and to have employees and to have the team. And so I just feel really, really good about being able to support entrepreneurs in the way that I have. And sometimes that check is a million dollars and or a hundred K. And sometimes that check is a hundred million dollars. And I think ultimately with those kinds of larger decisions, I try to take the emotion out of it, but be very appreciative of, you know, all the people and team and, you know, everything that we're going to be able to support when we invest those kinds of dollars. Nice. Jason was asking, you know, a lot of companies like, you know, MailChimp, they not then, but we do a lot of promotions that have some of their lifetime deals. Would that deter you from investing in a company or what's your thought on that? I think that might be too specific for me to answer. I would just say that, you know, I think that we need to be in relationships with our customers and our, our partners that are long, that are designed to be long term. What that means is if there are ways that we are maybe getting fast money now, but then we sacrifice the longer term opportunity, I would probably examine those very closely. Because again, like, you know, kind of to my ethos of building the company for the long term, you know, Noah, how many years have you been working on AppSumo? This is over 11 years now. 11 years. All right. So let me make a prediction. Noah is going to be, for better or worse, working on AppSumo in 10 years. Okay. So all of these decisions that we're making right now, Noah's going to be like, fuck, why did we do XYZ like 10 years ago? I mean, like, really? Like, that's what we're going to be talking about. I think to, to Andrew's point, Jason, what I heard as well is it's not that it's good or bad. It's just like, how does it actually impact the business? And I think that's, that's a good call out. These marketplace companies are always in a world where we're trying to balance the needs of one side versus the other. All the things that people complain to me about with Uber was always like, well, why can't I pay $0, have the driver wait for me for an hour until I'm ready to go outside? And then when I get outside and I sit in the car, I want them to like have like, you know, lemon infused like iced water for me ready. And it's like, yeah, but like you're not the actual customer. Like the driver is the actual customer of the business. And we need to make sure that they're very happy about that too. Because what they're telling us is why can't we charge customers $100 and if they cancel, they, they get charged $1,000. And by the way, we should be able to show up how, however late we want. And by the way, if there's a customer that's close to us, we want to pick them up and just cancel the order, right? It's like, you know, you're trying to balance the two sides. And so I think my question with anything that feels like it's too good of a deal is, is it favoring one side of the network versus the other in such a way that it hurts the long-term prospects of the business? How should AppSumo think about that? In terms of like catering just to getting way more partners, which is putting our strategy this year versus focusing on the, the customer and just getting more yeah. customers to the platform. Our job is to build the network, I think, right? Our job is to build a network, which is both buyers and sellers at the same time and the team that, that administrates the network. And I think we have to balance the needs of everybody. And I think if you go too far in one direction, you're probably making the wrong move. What mistakes do you generally see from people in marketplaces or in startups lately? Or in general over your years? General questions are so hard, but I would say, you know, for marketplace, you know, companies, what I would tell you is usually the supply side, you know, so in the book I talk about this, but like the hard side of the network, it's the hard side for a reason. So it's like sellers on eBay. So this is how I define it in the book. Every network has an easy side and a hard side. The easy side of the network are people that are easy to acquire. They'll try it out. They don't do very much. They kind of click a couple of buttons. It's fine. The hard side of the network are people who actually do the work to power the network. So on YouTube, the hard side is 
the content creators, right? They spend hours, you know, creating videos, they script their shows, they manage advertisers, they do all this work. The people who view the videos, that's the easy side of the network. They just show up and they're just like, cool, video, great, done, out, you know? And what happens is, you know, that's the same for drivers versus riders. You know, the drivers do the work, like they are dedicating their lives to this thing and they're spending, you know, sometimes 50, sometimes 80 hours a week driving, you know, like they're in it. Rider, they're in it for five minutes. They come in and out. It's fine. They get to where they want to go. They're done. Right. And that's the easy side. And I think what happens is most of the time, the hard side of the network is that should be the focus of the network. How do you create a lot more members of the hard side? How do you scale that? How do you make the, the members of the hard side as successful as possible consistently? Those are all kind of like points of view in how to build that that I think are, are really important. So I think for us, you know, one of the biggest things that I've always wanted AppSumo to do is when we have a sales motion where the developer side of our network ends up basically just talking to a sales team. And then by the way, they run a deal. And then after they run the deal, then they turn off the deal. You know, that to me is not the ideal uh, relationship that we have with the hard side of our network, right? We ought to be making it so that every product, every software product, especially, you know, and maybe more, but like, let's just start with software product. But every software product feels like they need an AppSumo page, right? The same way that like, whether you're looking for a job or not looking for a job, you have a LinkedIn page, right? Or whether if you're a restaurant, you just, you know, you need a Yelp page. Like I want every software product on the planet to feel like they really need an AppSumo page and whether or not they have a deal running or not. And I want all those people to show up, not because we're emailing them and calling them, but they just know that they need to show up and start an AppSumo page. And that to me is one of the key parts of the business that I know we're putting a lot of effort in and, and I hope that we may continue to make progress there. Well, with that being said, is there any other things you're looking forward to with AppSumo as well as an investor or even personal life that you know, maybe two to three things you're looking forward to? We'll, we'll end with that. I am hopeful that we will get back to a back to normalcy. Normalcy meeting, like we revert back to, you know, everything that we used to do just because, you know, we were supposed to do it, but that we actually have, we innovate and we have, you know, we take all the good things about the current model, just how efficient it is, how easy it is to reach out to people, everything digital that we're doing, all the tools that we're using, you know, all the flexibility that people have. But then at the same time, kind of, you know, continue to innovate on making people feel like they're part of a team, part of a family. Like I love like all that. And, so I'm excited about that. Hopefully we'll get that all back in, in 2022. Um, and like go, having dinners all the time, going out, like doing all that stuff, I think is, is going to be great. And then, yeah, I think for me personally, um, you know, I went from 14, 15 years of being like, SF is everything to now, you know, like I came by Austin for four or five months earlier this year. That was awesome. I hope to come back a lot more, you know, coming up. Um, I have a new place in LA, which is great. I want to spend more time in New York as well and just, you know, really, Watch the flood of entrepreneurship as it sort of, you know, moves across different cities and, and just see all the new things that people put together. Also, I mean, Web3 is very interesting also. And like, you know, it's next new kind of computing platform. All the metaverse stuff is, is really cool. We're doing a lot of investing there. And then I'm also spending a lot of time thinking about like, you know, new ways for people to, to work. Absolutely, I think actually fits into that. Like if you are a new, if you are a new software developer and you're building a cool new product, like how do you get traction for your, your, how do you launch, you know, like, AppSumo could play a key role in that. So I think all, all that's great. You're literally a, a full-time professional investor. What is a, a recommendation for us on something to invest in? I'll tell you what my portfolio looks like right now. So I would say I am mostly in... Uh, Noah and I, you and I talk about this. 
I love the idea of supporting other entrepreneurs. So what that means is before A16Z, but certainly during A16Z, I basically took a very large amount of my liquid capital and I basically cut it all the way down to a very, very small pieces. And I would basically invest like five or $10,000 into ultimately became like dozens over years, dozens of my friends. That was fantastic. I continued to have most of my um, net worth invested in, in private companies. And this is not financial advice for all of you, but this is just what I did. And a lot of that, honestly, was a lot of uh, writing writing the check and investing in AppSumo was as much about just me and Noah maintaining a friendship over multiple years and getting to know Chad and building a relationship. And it was a way to formalize that as much as, you know, kind of from a financial standpoint. Besides that, I have a bunch that, you know, is in the market, but like, you know, I'm not optimistic. And then final thing is, um, I'm actually not doing very much in, in crypto. I am now mostly a ETH maximalist. And so I have most of my holdings in Ethereum, the majority of it in Ethereum. I have a bunch of Bitcoin also. I mostly refuse to invest in anything else because I think that whether it might go up or down, that's not what I'm worried about. But I do believe in kind of the fundamentals of the technology, which is that if something has a lot of usage, then I will invest in it. And I think Ethereum is getting a lot of usage because like all of NFTs and like all of DeFi and all of everything is being built on Ethereum. And so I think Ethereum is working in that way. It's sort of like a, it's like a developer tool, basically. However, I would say that, uh, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin, I think it's store value. So it's also working. But the other stuff, I'm just kind of, I'm still watching and learning. I'm all not right. in any Dogecoins. Thank you for coming on and sharing that. Yeah. It's, a, it's good to see you. I'll nice see meeting you all week. of you and hope to see you guys in, uh, in, in Austin some other, some other time. See you guys. Thank you, Andrew. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go give Andrew some love at coldstart.com. Also, Andrew Chen on Twitter. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, man, let's go hang out on Slack together or in real life. Before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from you all. It really makes my day. Also, check out AppSumo.com. If you are looking to start or grow your online business, go sell your product on AppSumo.com or go sign up to the newsletter and find out about the latest and greatest tools at insane prices, AppSumo.com. Finally, a couple shout outs to my amazing team, Jason at PodcastTech.com. He makes these episodes. He turns them from coal into diamonds, back into coal, back into diamonds. Thank you, Jason. Thank you as well to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Hubert, Cam, Sasa, and Jen, plus Nikki from the Dork Team. Thanks for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout out to all of the amazing customer support people at AppSumo. They treat our Sumo links so well. If you haven't reached out to our customer support team, hopefully you haven't because then everything's been good at AppSumo. But if you have, the people over here do an amazing job of taking care of all of our Sumo link, aka our customers. Have an extraordinary day. <laughs> What's your favorite fruit? <laughs>